0: Let's pray for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning. As we rejoin together in worship and in a time of being the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit. Come and meet us where we are this morning. Come and enter our hearts and our minds. Come, Lord, and fill my words and open your scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, again, it, it's good to see you guys. I missed you uh, in person on Christmas Eve. It was such a weird Christmas Eve. Wonderful that we had the online, but um, a strange a strange way to, to go through the two highest feast days and holy days of the year. We missed Easter and Christmas. And so, you know, what, what kind of weird year is that, right? Well, the question, I think, is what's next? You know, that's a question on many of our minds as we enter... 2021. And we try to envision what the future holds for us. What's next with the pandemic? What's next with the vaccines? What's next with the president and the president-elect? What's next with the racial issues in America? What's next with the economy? What's next with the schools and the church? What's next with our jobs? What's next with our families? What's next with our own lives? And I think these are all reasonable questions to ponder. I'd be surprised if they weren't floating around somewhere in your minds because of such a strange year, so much upheaval and uncertainty, so much unanticipated change. I mean, it just didn't stop all throughout the year. And, of course, while we won't return to normal, there seems to be, I think, some hope for many of us that, by what, summer, fall, things might be getting back to, if not normal, at least... They might be reduced in in the level of the effect of the pandemic. We may be less burdened, depending on, of course, how vaccinations go. And I think as we begin the year as Holy Cross, I do want to ask another question, though. Um, And it's one that I think is both foundational and it's very personal, and it will affect how you approach all those other questions. And the question is this, what's next with you and with God? what's next with you and God. I want to make the case this morning, that's what what is next with you and God depends an awful lot upon the condition of your heart, your mindset, your attitude, your position, your disposition, your posture, your willingness, really willingness to respond to God's grace that he offers to each one of us in his son, Jesus Christ. That will determine a lot about what's next. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew in just a moment. And what I think we'll see, particularly in the the well-known story of the Magi, the wise men from the East, is that there are three heart conditions on display, three dispositions, if you will, conditions of the heart. And they are those of Herod and those of the chief priests and the scribes of the people and then the heart condition of the magi, the wise men from the east. And I want to just call them three different things. I want to call them the hostile. Everybody say hostile. The hardened. Say hardened. hardened. And the hungry. So let's do that again. The hostile, the hardened, and the hungry. Those are three heart conditions that we can see in this story of the wise men who come to Herod hostile, hardened, and hungry. We'll start with King Herod. He's the hostile, and that's not very hard to see if you just take a cursory look at the story. His heart condition is on full display right out of the gates. The wise men show up in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And verse three says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, that, that's kind of anticlimactic. I kind of wish the translator had put a little umph in the way they translated that, because the word for he was troubled is a really strong word in Greek. It's He was distressed. It actually means he was shaking. He was terrified. He was overwhelmed. Now, Herod had been the king of the Jews, or at least called that, for about 40 years, and he had been appointed by the Roman Senate. He was not legitimate as a king of the Jews, because... Well, he wasn't from the royal line of David, he wasn't from the tribe of Judah, and he wasn't even Jewish. But he was merciless, and he was a great administrator. And so the Romans put him in that place to really quell the people and to crush them under his thumb, and he did just that. And he is shaking. Can you just see him there? Imagine the scene as the wise men come in, They've made their way to the king. They found their way into Jerusalem. They're in his royal throne room. And he's sitting on his throne. And he hears there's another king of the Jews that's been born. He's greatly distressed. He's shaking in fear and paranoia and rage and anger. And the most logical thing to do and what most people do when they're enraged is they lash out. And that's what we see begin to unfold with Herod. He's hostile to Christ because he's feeling threatened. Think about a time in your own life when somebody caused you to feel threatened. It may have been in some kind of an exchange, probably in an argument, maybe your spouse or a friend or something that happened in your career, your business, your neighborhood with your kids, and you have that fight-or-flight response. Well, he's in a fight response, He's hostile to Jesus. He's angry because Christ is threatening his kingship. And he wants to lash out and he wants to attack and he wants to destroy Jesus. That's why in verse 4 it says, He assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Not because he wanted to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. That's the first kind of heart condition that we see and that people have when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is very threatening to many people. They don't want to have anything to do with him because, well, Jesus requires us to let go of control. And that can be very scary if all your life you've had to maintain control. Do it on your own. Make it happen in your own strength. Build things up. Create your own kingdom. Be your own king or queen, if you will. So Herod was hostile. Many people are hostile towards Jesus. And they tend to lash out at him and even the people who are associated with him. I remember when I came to Christ and I was visiting my stepfather, I shared with him about my fairly new faith. He was incredibly hostile toward me. He was incredibly arrogant toward God. He was shocked. And his very words were, have you checked your brain at the door? How can you follow that crutch? And by that crutch, he meant Jesus. But that's at the heart of sin. We're hostile toward the God who loves us and who created us and who desires to be in relationship with us and yet we so often refuse to yield the kingship or the queenship of our own lives. Even though in holding on to that, it actually puts us so far away from God, distances us so far from him. Let me just start by asking this question. Is your heart hostile to God this morning? Are you angry with him? Are you threatened by who Jesus is and what he might mean if you were to give him space In your life, if you were to get off the throne of your own life. Well, what would the next step be for someone in that position? Well, it's usually going to be run away the opposite direction or get honest before God and deal with the hostility within and ultimately surrender. To surrender your life, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There's a story that I heard about the great British admiral, Lord Nelson. Uh, He was a brilliant naval warrior, admiral, but he was also incredibly kind and gracious to those whom he defeated. And in those days, in the age of wooden ships, they often would defeat their foe and then take them on board their ship before it sunk. And he was known to do that very thing. Well, there was this one time when one of the officers on a ship that he had defeated was allowed on board deck and he came striding toward Admiral Nelson in a very posturing way with his hand outstretched, a lot of pride in this man. And Lord Nelson just kept his hand down. And then he said these words to him. He said, your sword first, sir, and then your hand. And what he meant was, you've got to surrender before we can be friends. And it works that way with Christ, too. We have to yield to his lordship before we'll ever experience the closeness and the intimacy that he offers us and that he wants to give us. He becomes lord before he becomes an older brother and a friend. Well, the next heart condition is the hardened heart. Everybody say hardened And we see that in the chief priests and these scribes, right? The scribes of the people. So Herod calls these guys in to himself, and he asks them where Christ is to be born, and they knew. They were absolutely clear. They were positive, and they gave him the answer. Verse 5 says, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. They knew exactly. They knew the story. They knew the Bible. But they weren't interested that the Messiah had actually come. And they did nothing. They did nothing. What they knew of God did not translate into any kind of obedience, into any kind of action. They basically were ho-hum about the whole thing. And that's the great danger of religion. You can get very comfortable in religion and your heart can grow very hard to Jesus. There's no fire in them. Their hearts aren't stirred by faith or hope or by love. There's nothing larger than themselves in the little box of religion that they had created. As long as they followed the rules, everything was okay. And then Messiah shows up and they're like, whoa, want nothing to do with him. I think there's a warning for us here, particularly if you've been in the church a long time or you've grown up in the church, hearing the stories, knowing the Bible, or at least some of it along the way. You've walked with Christ for a season of life, maybe a long season. The danger is that your heart can get hardened along the way. You get comfortable and numb and you go to sleep. Think about the warning Jesus gives to the church of Sardis, In Revelation 3, he says these words, I know your deeds, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Remember the words, remember what you've been given. Hold it fast and repent, says Jesus. And a lot of people start out strong with Christ, but then because of heartache, disappointment, carelessness, their hearts become hard along the way. You lose lose your fire. You lose your first love. Of course, Jesus has words about that a little further on in Revelation 3. He says this to the church of Laodicea, He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, but I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me let me ask you at the end of a really hard long year Are there any places where your heart's gotten hardened? Where you've walked with him for a long season? Maybe you're tired, you're worn out, you've had some disappointments and some heartaches, or you've just kind of gotten used to it all. And that fire of love has grown cold. Where religion has taken over in the place of passionate love for the God who desires you. The good news is in those words of Jesus he doesn't he doesn't spit him out he says repent. He doesn't throw him away he says turn back. Come home. My my wife has been reminding me recently shimmy your little old butt on up next to Jesus. Which is just a colloquial way of saying, you know, ask for salve for your eyes so that you can see again. Ask for white clothes, right? Cleanness again. Do whatever it takes so that your hard heart might become softened again. And, and I can tell you, just personally, having kind of walked through, I mean, it's a hard year. Like, I allowed my heart to get kind of hard along the way. I mean, I still showed up at church probably as often as anybody And I still read my Bible, and I still said my prayers, and I still did the things, but you know, there's, it's easy to get hardened when there's these long seasons of difficulty and pain, if you're not very careful. And I noticed that going on in my own life, in my own heart, the passion, the desire, the fire, the love for others. In a year when it's so inward turned, so isolated, so cut off from one another, how easy it is to get focused on oneself and to start filling up on other things that promise to fill us but never do, too much food, too much Netflix binging, maybe too much drinking, you know the things, too much work, and our hearts start to grow hard along the way. I heard the Lord say to me, repent, turn back, come home, come near. I've called you. You're mine. I love you. I'll be with you. Whatever you walk through, I'm here. Now, the third condition, I hope, is where many of your hearts are today. That's the hungry heart. That's the wise men from the east. Right? The book of Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that means that they began in a place of fearing God, of having an awe and a wonder, of recognizing as they looked to the stars that there is a creator. There is a sovereign God above. They didn't know all the answers, but their hearts were hungry and their hearts were toward him. They didn't know a lot, but they knew enough to look up and follow the signs that were being laid out before them. They were longing for a savior. They wanted to know God. They're ready to follow even the faintest, even the faintest and imperfect and imperfect signs that would lead them to his feet. They follow the star to Jerusalem. They come out of the east, and we don't know how far it is. They probably come from Persia. What kind of star? We don't know. Was it something like what occurred recently? December 21st, where Saturn and Jupiter aligned? Was it Halley's Comet? There's a lot of theories. It could have been the Shekinah glory of the Lord that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. We don't know. But they saw something, and they knew it was different, and they knew it was of God. And though they didn't have the answers, they sought because their hearts were hungry. They heard the words of others who pointed them towards Christ, even the moron Herod. Hostile hearted as he was, pointed them toward Jesus. Yeah, he's in Bethlehem. Go find out and come back. And and they heard and they went. They obeyed what they had received. They went to see for themselves. When God spoke to them in their dreams later, they didn't write it off as last night's falafel. They respond in obedience. They react. They engage. Then as verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, when they encountered God's grace to them in Jesus Christ, they fell before him in worship. And they laid their lives before him. They laid their lives down. That's such a humbling thing because this is a baby and they're wise men, astrologers, possibly kings themselves. They're at the very least priests of some sort of caste and they're laying themselves down, prostrating them before him, before a child, before a baby. And that's a picture of what drives a hungry heart is humility, a willingness to recognize your own need and Christ's ability to fill that need. And so they lay before him in response to his grace, their myrrh and their frankincense and their gold gifts for a king and for a priest, for a sacrifice. But notice the whole thing with them is grace. The fact that they leave Persia is grace. The fact that they come out of the east and follow the star and make their way to Jerusalem and find their way into Herod's throne room and then leave from there and find the child, and end up before him in worship is all grace. See, God is constantly reaching out, constantly seeking, constantly offering his heart to those who are hungry for him, who desire him, who are willing to lay themselves before the Christ. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So let me ask you this morning, is your heart hungry for Jesus? And if so, what are the next steps you might embark upon in this new year to move further toward him, to respond to the grace that's being offered to you? Maybe this is the year that you go public with your faith. Maybe you get baptized. Maybe you recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you get confirmed when the bishop comes later in the year. Maybe the next step is a life group, engaging with other people in community, whether on Zoom or in person. Maybe it's serving, right? We've all kind of gotten used to, well, being on our own. And maybe it's time, whether serving in the church on Sunday mornings or serving in the community, there are ways to serve even now that are, well, they're going to bring life, I can tell you that. Because we've all been given gifts, From the Holy Spirit, and those gifts are meant to be used in serving one another, in serving the church, and serving the lost. And I think without serving, our hearts become hardened. Often, they become stunted at the very least, and our growth is impeded and stagnated because we're created to serve. That might be a next step for you. Maybe this is the year you finally read the book for yourself—the Bible. That is. Right? Cover to cover. See what it says. You've heard what other people say, you've heard what I say. Maybe you need to go find out for yourself. And try it out. I remember the first time I did it, it was daunting. I had a plan, so if you're gonna do it, get a plan. It's it's often hard to just start a Genesis and work your way through to um to the end of Revelation. And I remember slogging through some places. There's some there's some lists of names that'll just lock you up if you're not careful. <laughs> right? Yeah. But I remember somewhere I was in the prophets, so I was pretty far in at that point. And I suddenly had all kinds of wisdom and revelation, like I had wisdom about things. I saw things, I understood things about God, and I had spiritual insight to offer to other people. I had wisdom in my job as I was working in the computer industry that I didn't have. You see, there was this buildup that was going on as I was pouring in and taking on and eating of God's word and letting it light up my life. That might be you this year. That might be the next steps in your growth because your heart's hungry. Maybe it's time to go deep in prayer. Part of the way God invited me to let my heart be broken again and to get out of hardness was to start fasting and praying. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe this is the year you try. Start slowly. I can help you out with it if you've never done it. It's meant to be a normative part of the growing Christian life. Not as something we do to earn from God, but as a way to humble ourselves and be emptied that we might have more of the Spirit's presence in our life. And if you haven't seen God's power, if you haven't seen God's presence, perhaps it's time to humble yourself that He might lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And He lifts He lifts the humble. He pours into the humble. He rewards those who seek him. And so growing in fasting, growing in prayer, Ian Bounds once said, only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer move God. You know that you move God's heart when you pray, when you spend time with him, when you devote yourself and your schedule to him as the first place, not as the leftover But building life around the Lord, again, Catherine and I have have started using a daily prayer app, and it's great because there are four cycles of prayer. We don't do them all every day. We generally do morning prayer, and we generally do evening prayer, and sometimes somewhere in between. But, But it gives us a structure and a time together that is both meaningful and, you know, manageable. What steps are you taking to let your prayer life go deeper? What are the steps for your hungry heart that He's calling you to? And if your heart's hard, what steps is He asking of you? You might need to forgive, you might need to let Him into some pain, you might need to let go of bitterness. If your heart is hostile, of course. He still calls. He still waits. And He'll wait you out. But don't wait too long. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that You love us. Thank You that You call us to be Your own. Thank like you that you created and you know us inside and out. You know our failings, you know our successes. You know the places in our hearts where we're simply fearful children. Posturing to prove to the world around us that we're okay. Okay. Would you break through that in this year, Lord? Take us deeper. Save us. Make us new. Encourage us, Lord. Make us strong in Jesus that we might serve you and love you and worship you with all of our hearts. Loving God and our neighbors as ourselves. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen.